weekday. The Morning Drive, FM 96.3 and AM 620, WVMT. More cowbell, please. We are back on The Morning Drive, and joining us now live in studio is the Adjutant General of the Vermont National Guard, General Greg Knight. Good morning. Morning, gentlemen. How are you? Thanks for being on The Morning Drive, as always. Now, uh, General, today it is, of course, a, a sort of a somber day in a way because it's the 22nd anniversary of the attacks of 9-11. And uh, can you give us your thoughts on this day about 9-11 and maybe how it impacted the country going forward and, and the National Guard? Sure. I, I think um, most everybody who was old enough to remember that, that day knows exactly where they were. Um, I was at the St. Albans Armory, and personally I was participating in a recruiting event. So we had pulled one of our tanks up to the armory, and I was standing on the front slope, you know, talking to folks about what it was to join, the, what it means to join the Guard. And then my uh, operations NCO came out and said a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And uh, I knew then it, everything changed. Uh, I think we all knew that. And it, it certainly changed for a couple of decades um, with the global war on terror. But I do have a concern that, that Americans have a, a short memory. Um, for those of us that saw that and then, you know, became part of the response, uh, it's pretty profound. Uh, and we don't talk about it enough. And that was the mantra back during it was, we will never forget. And it, do you feel like a lot of people have forgotten? It, it's, it seems like an abstract to me. Um, we talk about it and, you know, yeah, I mean, time, time goes by, but you, you have to remember Um the immense tragedy and, and the scope and the scale of what that did to our nation. Now, it certainly brought us together, um, but I, I find it sad that it takes that level of catastrophe, that level of injury to our nation uh, to, to bring us together. Did, did, the, did that tragic day and the, and the aftermath of it that came with it, did that have any impact on the National Guard and how you do business? It did. So for years, I mean, for decades, for a very long time, the National Guard was um, always characterized as a strategic reserve, meaning, okay, we'll, we'll call you if we need you. Um, but the events of 9-11 uh, was really a catalyst for a significant change. Uh, so the term became operational reserve because we became more operational, uh, better funding, better equipment, modernization, uh, interoperability with our active duty counterparts for both the Air and Army National Guard. But I think, uh, you know, in the two decades since the global war on terror, uh, we, we've got to change that, that, that language. It's, we should be considered an integrated reserve. What a lot of folks don't know across Guard Nation, if, if you look at all of the operations that we're participating in, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I can tell you uh, somewhere between 40 and 50% of the deployed force is the Guard and Reserve. Mm -hmm. So this is not just an active duty um, 40 operation. To, 40 to 50% mm -hmm. of the deployed force yep. is Guard. So if you look at like the Kosovo mission, the yeah. K-4 mission, that's been Guard for, I think, 19 years now, uh, predominantly Guard. Uh, Operation Spartan Shield that's in, uh, in the Horn of Africa or... Uh, in the Southwest Asia, that's predominantly Guard and Reserve. Uh, you may have active duty units in there, but again, that focuses, to me, on, on the nature of what we do and our interoperability with our active duty counterparts. We're no different. So the, so the 
it's the role's been expanded since 9/11. Yes, significantly. Yep, uh, we're we're in you know an operational rotation. You know, and it's more predictable for the Army Guard. I think we talked about in the previous show, but normally it's every five years um, we we go into a deployment cycle. Um, you deploy your fifth year, and then the preceding four years are your, in essence graduated training, uh, and then deployment in the fifth year. Our deployments are a little bit longer than the Air National Guards. Um, they're normally 90 days to 180 days, depending on the nature of the mission. Do you think that that has added to the problem of recruitment at all? And we know recruitment has been a bigger issue than it's ever been over the last number of years for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's one of the reasons? I think it's hard to be in the Guard. Uh, I think we all understand that. And I'll, I'll tell anybody, it's not convenient. Um, there is a, an additional, you know, the old, we've heard it all, uh, all the time. It was one week in a month, two weeks a year. Right. I wish I could say that was true. Um, we're busier than that. Uh, but there are things that we do that we ask for. We do the state partnership program with our three state partners. And we participate in exercises. Uh, so it does drive a greater operational tempo than I think we've had uh, historically. But that being said, we need people. I mean, I, I, again, I come back to, you know, having a short memory. You know, there are threats to America that still remain. Um, there are many people and nations uh, that would do us great harm. You know, and that sometimes requires a military response. And to me, that speaks to the importance of having a strong and viable National Guard. Um, we're part of that response. We are the primary combat reserve of the Army and the Air Force. And we do that while also responding to domestic emergencies. And that's the uniqueness of the Guard. Now, General, you had some big events over the weekend, right? We did. Tell us about it. So on uh, Saturday, we had our open house. We did one last year at the fighter wing. Uh, This year, we didn't have as many folks. We did it right at Camp Johnson. Um, But one thing that occurred to me, and probably since... Since we started the global war on terror, and since that's now tailored off, uh, tapered off, and then the advent of COVID, we've not done a good job getting into our communities. And last year's open house really uh, showed us that, wow, this is kind of important. It's, it's important that our folks, our constituents, our people understand who we are and what we are. So we, we had, I don't have a final number, somewhere between eight and 1,200 folks uh, come to Camp Johnson. Um, which is good. I'll, I'll take that. Uh, I think it removes the mystery of, of guard service, and, and my term for it is we kind of put the, put the face on the monster because we're not. We're, right. we're you. Yep. We, we, we're part of the community, Air and Army. I think um, I think that's important. I think it's important that, that, that people understand the operations, they understand um, the commitment, but also what the guard does because, you know, if, if – the reality is, is you need to be out there telling people because the only time uh, that it makes the news is when you're coming in to save somebody's tail. Really? Right. You know, and, and that's great. And I think it's it that's 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 a big part of it. But the reality is you guys say, hey, you know, we're your neighbors. We're right here. We're all in this together kind of thing. Because um, and right now you just when you said almost 50 percent of the deployed force are guard and reserve people. Mm-hmm. That's a significant uh Number, I, I thought it was probably high, like twenty five percent, but that that's a significant amount of, of of service that the guard does, in addition to the domestic stuff. Yep, and I think that that's why it's important for us to uh, 
continue outreach to the community. Yeah. So we, we have to get back into the community uh, because sometime in the past 20 years, either we got away from it or people stopped caring. Um, and it's important because, I mean, my perspective is, you know, I don't want to be the person in, in the leadership position when the governor calls and we say we can't. Yeah. Uh, that's That would be bad for Vermont. Mm-hmm. That's why it's important to have a strong National Guard. Yep. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. You know, hearing this gentleman speak, every time I see a, a military personnel and I inquire and they usually say they're in the guards, and I thank them. Um, they are usually more grateful for hearing that thank you. And I wish more people could just simply say, hey, did you serve overseas? What did you do? And ask them some questions because I've had some great conversations just in grocery stores and all over Vermont with guardsmen. And they are more than just our National Guard. And these yahoos that complain about the planes flying overhead ought to think twice about how close we are to a national, international border and how important it is to have the guard. And also for things like the ice storm, Hurricane Irene, they helped in this flooding. Our National Guard is is a treasure in this state that we need to pay a little more homage to. So thanks for having him on the air, and have a good day. Well said. There we go. I think you'd agree with that. You'll hear no no disagreement from me. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you when, so much. When, when there's a problem, when there's a crisis, the guard That's is right. there. Exactly. It's like, well, okay, we know who we got to call in, and it gets it done. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes. Good morning, General. I don't, you know, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if there is a solution, but I've read a lot lately about military recruit, recruiting being at crisis level right now. I don't know if that's the same with the Vermont National Guard, but. Uh, with all the various problems with society and this current generation that you have to recruit from, um, I guess things aren't going well from what I read. What's what's the deal in Vermont? Same problem? Yep, we're uh, we're struggling, and it's a, I think it's at multiple levels. One is it's it's a competitive market out there. Uh, we try to stay competitive, and I think a lot of folks uh, don't understand when you join the Guard, it is a part-time job for about 75% of our force, which means you can have a dual career track. You can do what you're doing on the civilian side. You can go to school. You can have civilian employment someplace and yet still be in the guard and uh, advance that way. But I think the other element here, and again, I, I was talking to Kurt uh, before we went on the air, there, there's where did civil discourse go? Um, for us, I have a hard time countering the negative messaging uh, that's out there about the military. That somehow, you know, going in the military or joining the Guard is your, your last best option. And I think nothing could be further from the truth, which is why it's important for folks to come see us. Come meet our Guard. They're your Guard. They're the folks that, that you're going to call when you need us. You're, they're um, your friends and neighbors. That's correct. But if I look at the level of education across our organization, you know, if that's important to people, I think they understand that. You don't become an officer without a four-year degree. In, in our Air Guard, you can't get past a certain enlisted rank unless you have at least a two-year degree. Uh, we have a number of folks, enlisted and officers, who have advanced degrees. So, and guess how much college debt they have? Oh, right. Yeah. Very little. Yeah. Um, because that's what the Guard can do for you. A lot but of thanks, benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the call. I don't have an answer. Um, I, I talked to Kat Viglianzoni about it last year, I think, and it's like if I had an answer, I'd be a wealthy man. But I think probably the most important thing we could do is Talk about the guard, share our story, 
and, and come see us. Uh, you know, I, I would be honest with everybody listening. It's not for everybody, but at least ask the question. Does uh, do you have a lot of uh, law enforcement officers who are also members of the guard, right? Mm-hmm. Does it? And we know that there are recruitment efforts in law enforcement also across the state and state police and law enforcement agencies across the state. So does that kind of correspond the, the law enforcement issues with recruitment and retention and the guards? Well, I think when you look across to be in the guard, you, you have to have a, a kind of a, pre, a, a disposition towards service to your community. And I think the same thing is true for, for law enforcement and other first responders. You, you do it because you want to help. And that's um, you know, certainly hand in hand. Um, that that work ethic, that discipline, that willingness to, you know, go into situations that others don't want to go into, that that certainly kind of predicts your success uh, in the guard. Now, uh, anything we know you're doing, all kinds of things, trying new ideas to try to find ways to to bring in more recruits. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything new that you're looking at when you guys um, get together and talk about this? I did see. Uh, you obviously had something at the fair, Champlain Valley Fair. I saw the uh, people could go in and see a simulation, which mm-hmm. it looked like a lot of people were going through. Yep, we're we're, we're pulling out all the stops. Um, for instance, being on your show uh, a little more frequently to help share the story. Um, it's it's important to get the word out, and it's also important to share it with, I think, um, populations that we don't historically reach out to. So I think I mentioned it the last time I was on. We're looking at and reaching out to underrepresented populations and finding the propensity to serve is there. I think it's important. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm just wondering what the general thinks about the military's plan to retire the A-10s and use the F-35s as close air support. I've read the stats on that, and the, about the only criteria that the F-35 meets for close air support is the speed. Are you are you in agreement that the F thirty five should be used for close air in lieu of the A tens? Well, I'm an army guy, and I'm a big fan of the A ten. Um, but I don't I don't know the chief of staff of the Air Force and Air Force senior leaders are, are driving that decision. I think part of the concern, uh, given the age of the A ten um, and the capability of the F thirty five, which I I think we have yet to see the full capability of it, is actually getting the A ten into the fight. So if we look at the pacing challenges that we're facing now, um, what the A-10 was suited for then may not be what the A-10 is suited for now. But that's kind of my limited understanding of it. Um, but again, I'm a big fan of close air support, obviously, having used it uh, back in 2005, 2006. Uh, but the nature of warfare is changing. Uh, we, what we call multi-domain operations. It's, it's Even in the past 20 years, it's changed exponentially in, in how we, we fight and how we train to fight. When you talk about, um, General, when you talk about the crisis of, of recruitment, the recruitment issue, and, you know, you, you touched on it saying, I don't want to be in a position ever where the governor asks us to do something, fill out a mission, and we're not able to do it. I mean, how close are we to, to being in a situation like that where we re- literally w- would not be able to respond? Well, it's not good, uh, and depending on the scale of things. You know, with the flooding, we, we had plenty of volunteers, uh, but, you know, with, with being short as many as we are, uh, we could do more. And that's why I've been talking to anybody who will listen to me uh, very candidly. We have hundreds of vacancies. And if we don't fill them, I can walk you through the list of what I think will happen. Uh, first and foremost, we need to provide a ready force to the governor and to the National Command Authority. If we cannot do that, we will shrink. We will lose force structure. 
And what that means is full and part-time jobs. What that means is losing capability and capacity to respond to either our domestic or federal mission. It means we will lose payroll and benefits coming into Vermont every year. This guard, even in its reduced status, brought in $152 million in payroll and benefits last year. So imagine if we lose a battalion. Pick a size of unit, doesn't matter. 200, 250. You lose those capabilities. You lose all the equipment that we get to use in a dual status for both our federal mission and our state mission. So that's how it works, really. It's the larger your force, the more equipment from the federal government. Absolutely. So imagine if we filled every vacancy. Sure. What we had now is $152 million. We could probably grow that to $200 million. And it's opportunities, great part-time jobs for Vermonters, right. folks that are eligible to serve. Sure. But it, it, And people have to understand, and I will talk to everybody who will listen, you look at military construction. If I can't fill a new military construction armory, yeah. I have a vision to build four super armories around Vermont, one in each corner of the state, with easier access, housing multiple units, give us greater capability and capacity to respond. If I can't put people in the armory, I can't build it. Right. And that's the challenge. So it, it's a multi-tiered uh, problem that we have. And that's why recruitment is so important. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. I would ask my fellow Vermonters to never forget how easy it was for David Zuckerman to disparage and, in my opinion, mock our Vermont Air National Guard on that fateful day. Never forget, and please, voters, never put him any closer to power than you already have. Thank you. I, I, I don't remember that. Uh, General, any you want to you stay away from that one? I will remain nonpartisan, Kurt, but thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> um, uh, General, what um, anything that the state can do to help you mm-hmm. or should be doing to help you? Uh, the legislature will be back in a few months, uh, and we know we have the committee. I know that you're, you're dealing with it. They have a special committee um, that deals with National Guard issues and mm-hmm. other things. Um, what will you pursue, or what's the message to the legislature and the state in ways that they could and should help you? So I do have a legislative caucus. I asked for that about four years ago, probably one of the smartest things I could have done because we didn't have a, a clean venue to engage with the legislature. I thought that was important because, well, they elect the adjutant general, so it made sense to me. But we will continue doing open houses uh, to a greater degree and even smaller scale, hosting uh, you know educator days, bringing in our teachers and guidance counselors to come see us uh, for both the Air and Army National Guard. But on October 17th, uh, I'm going to host a social for all 180 members of the legislature at the Milano Ballroom at 5 o'clock in the evening. And I want to talk to them about how they can help um, and tell them who the Guard is and what it is that we do and have done. Uh, I'm not sure everybody understands that. Uh, So I think they can help. Uh, I think there's an obligation there. Um, They have constituents. They have folks that can join the Guard and derive great benefit uh, from service with uh, with us. Um, so it just makes sense to me. They are what we call centers of influence. So why would I not reach out to them, uh, even to a greater degree than working with the caucus or my two committees of jurisdiction? I know this is an ongoing issue, and it has been for years, and I know the legislature did a little, little, tiny bit. But I do have Guard members who have told me more than one that said to me, when I retire, why would I stay in Vermont when almost every other state doesn't tax our retirement? Mm-hmm. Uh, any, do we have real hope that the legislature might finally 
after years of this bill being proposed and after being only one of a couple of states that do tax it, that we could we could actually take a step forward with the legislature this year? So I will answer the question as the adjutant general versus a soon-to-be military retiree. Uh, from a workforce development perspective, uh, Vermont has great potential to bring in uh, prior service population or, or veteran population, retirees. Uh, past six years, our military retiree numbers have not changed. They've remained static at about 3,900. Six years. Like-sized states, we're the smallest still, but Maine, New Hampshire, the Dakotas, uh, probably Montana and Wyoming, all have a population of retirees or veterans uh, three to four times that of Vermont. There's a reason for that. Uh, but if I can have that tool in the toolbox and use that as another thing to market all the goodness that we have here in Vermont and make it attractive for people to come here, because right now they're not coming here. And I can obviously they're not staying here because the numbers have remained static. So I will continue to advocate because we need talent here. We need to bring it here. We need to keep it here. Soon to be retired, you said. Soon mm-hmm. to be retired when? Well, I've been doing this for 40 years, Kurt. <laughs> This military thing. Well, come um, on, forties the new thirty, seventies <laughs> yeah. the new sixty. Do you have a Do you have a time frame, General? Just, to, well, just I was my my intent was to be done uh, in March, but I was elected um, a few months ago as the vice president army uh, for the adjutant general association. So that comes with a two year term. If my uh, adjutant general colleagues have that faith in me, I'll I'll uh, I'll stick around and keep uh, doing what I can to make the guard better. So you'll be there for a couple more years, at least. If I, if I get elected. I mean, it's up to the legislature. And if I don't, well, don't threaten me with a good time. I'll be retired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we, General Knight, thanks for being on the morning drive, as always, along with your pal, uh, Captain Arkovich, of course. Yeah. We've got to give him a little kudos here. And uh, we got Ted Knight coming up, so you got to stick around because yeah, we'll do that. Ted's going to be here with some goodies. Some goodies. We're going to check in with Fox News, uh, and uh, Jamie's got the headlines, and we'll back with Did I say forecast. Ted Tomlinson? You said Ted Knight. God, I've screwed up names left and right here today. Okay. Ted Knight's a former actor. Ted, Ted Tomlinson from the Spank Puppy. I was thinking that. I'm like, <laughs> anyway.